if anyone out there in the best ever community, if you want to be the best ever and sell your property for the most or the best ever value, you need to spend money for professional photos, period. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm your host again today, Theo Hicks. Well, today's Friday. We're going to follow on Friday again, and we are back with our co-host for last week and our co-host for this week. Danny Randazzo. Danny, how are you doing today? Doing great, Theo. Thank you again to you and Joe for having me on and happy to help on this Follow Along Friday. I appreciate it. I went really well last week, you fulfilling the role of Theo and me fulfilling the role of Joe, hopefully. You did well. I Hopefully I did well, <laughs> too, and we're hoping to have a repeat this week. So let's this is Follow Along Friday. We are going to go over the lessons that were learned from the best ever interviews from the week before. I did the interviews last week, as I mentioned on um, the previous following Friday. So since Joe's not here, I get to go over the lesson that I learned. So let's jump right into it. So one individual I interviewed was named Ben Bacall, who is a, a literal rock star real estate agent. One of his transactions of a residential property was $70 million. I guess that was the largest ever recorded sale in Beverly Hills, which is saying something because that's Beverly Hills. He's actually sold over $2 billion of the B in, in real estate. And he created an app called Rilla, the Rilla app. And the reason why he created it was based off of his experience of finding buyers for one of his first deal and then all the subsequent deals. So the way he explained it to me was his first luxury home sale was a $3 million property. And once he found that listing, he wanted to find a way to market it that was better than just putting it on the MLS. I don't know when this was. So I don't think the Zillows and the Trulias were a thing yet. 
because it's not like he's been doing this for a while. But uh, he's going to do more than just put it on the MLS. And so he did door knocking. He did face-to-face meetings with people that he would meet. I sent out postcards. He did cold calling. He created a uh, e-blast to all the people he had on his email list. And he created a video of the deal as well. And in that video, he included a bunch of personal pictures that he took of that property. And so it seems like it's simple, right? You just go in there and you take pictures with your cell phone or a professional camera. That really can't make that big of a difference, right? Well, for these deals, apparently, the way he explained it to me was that the pictures that you'll find of, of the property are kind of like very basic pictures, you know, just in the kitchen, the living areas, the exteriors. And those are the same standard pictures across the MLS, across homes.com, across truly all, they're all, all the exact same. And so if someone's looking for this deal and they go to any of those websites, they're going to find kind of the same standard pictures, whereas he would go there and take a ton of pictures on his own phone and take pictures of things that people won't be able to see just based off of the standard MLS picture that the agent goes in there. So kind of getting creative about it. And he'd create his videos, he'd post it on Instagram, Facebook, things like that. And apparently this is a huge help for him in selling his homes. And ultimately he made an app that kind of does the same thing. It's like the Instagram for real estate. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because when you're trying to appeal to a buyer for any sort of residential property, I think having those professional, awesome looking photos on the MLS or on the Zillow and the Trulia. It's an absolute must have, but it sounds like for the market that he's in and his clientele, his buyer is going to be a little bit more sophisticated. And I think those initial photos, like the marketing photos that always look good are going to tell the story of how awesome this house is and how great the seller has kept the house and how much value they've added. So I think as a sophisticated buyer thinks about it, specifically in his market in the high-priced, high-net-worth area of California and Beverly Hills, going in and taking those photos that allow his client to walk through the property without actually having to spend their time to go there is something that appeals to them. So Sometimes you can take a photo of a kitchen and it looks like this massive open concept kitchen, but then you get in there and the feel is a little bit tight between the island and the sink. So if he's in there snapping photos of real angles that people are going to use and be able to kind of visualize themselves in that space, I think that's where you get the buyer and they have an appreciation for it because again, Time is very important. So if they're not having to spend the time to go out and tour and look at it, and they can use his app and know that he walked it and they trust him, then he's building that client relationship and that buyer's buy-in to purchase the property. Great advice. So I was kind of confused at first. I was like, well, every single luxury home I've ever seen listed has professional photos on the MLS. But it's, as you mentioned, it's about taking the pictures that are more truthful and tell a story to the buyer. So as you mentioned, not trying to take some crazy angle down low, make it look like the kitchen's a lot bigger than it is. A lot of times, again, there'll just be one picture of each room at a, maybe not the best angle. And for my understanding, it seems like he's taking a lot of pictures so that literally they can do a video walkthrough without actually having to do the video. I'm yeah. not sure why he didn't choose, chose the video route, but I guess the pictures were working better. But I guess he's got this app where agents can go into properties take a bunch of pictures, post it to this app, and then those pictures are the listing. So you get the listing by, by posting those pictures and ideas and make it a crowdfunded version of 
these Zillows that you don't have to pay 10 grand a month to be shown in the search results. Yeah, I think that was interesting. Yeah, I think the lesson here from this one is that he found a need for his clients. His clients needed to see more photos than what was just available on the MLS or on the listing. So he created a solution to fill that need. And obviously, he's closed 2 billion, you said, in real estate from a a transactional side. And I think a huge component of that was finding that need for his clients to buy more properties. And it was giving them more photos. So heck yeah, go take a ton of photos and sell 2 billion in real estate and help your clients by adding value to them. I think it's an excellent Mm -hmm. win. And obviously this applied to selling homes. If you're a rental investor, you can kind of have the same thought process when you're taking pictures for your rentals. Don't just go in there and quickly rush with your iPhone to take pictures so you can get your listing up. You go to Craigslist. I went to Craigslist and spent like 50 bucks as a college student who's majoring in photography. And she went in there and took hundreds of pictures. And then I got to go select the ones that I thought told the best story of the property. And some of them were just certain pictures of just a bookshelf or just pictures of zooming on the fireplace or in yeah. the backyard. Again, it's not just taking like, here's the office, here's the bedroom, here's the bathroom. And that's it. It's just showing that what the highlights of the property. Yeah. If anyone out there in the best ever community, if you want to be the best ever and sell your property for the most or the best ever value, you need to spend money for professional photos, period. End of discussion on that. It's the most appealing thing that is going to draw traffic into the home. So you need to get people out of their computer first by giving them excellent quality photos for them to show up and go and tour and look at your property and then buy it for top dollar. So spend the money on professional photos. All right. So lesson number two, I interviewed a couple, Jay and Samara Harvey. They are actually mobile home investors. Whenever I think of mobile home investors, I think of people buying actual mobile home communities where they just go into communities and buy individual mobile homes and sell those. But before they got into mobile homes, they were trying just their typical real estate rentals and things like that. And they trusted a mentor that they met at a conference, I think. This is not a paid mentorship. This is a fucking free mentorships. We're kind of like finding someone who's experienced and, and shadowing them and partnering up on a deal together. So they did this and they lost $30,000 on that deal with this mentor. So obviously I asked them what types of things you look for in mentors to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And they provided me with a really solid list of things to look at that I hadn't necessarily thought of before when you are looking to find a mentor. Again, these are free mentorships, but some of these can apply to paid mentorship as well. So it's kind of broken into two categories, kind of. So the first one was obviously do your due diligence on the mentor. And more specifically, what they meant was, number one, when you're initially talking with this person, they most likely are going to tell you about all the things they've done, all the deals they've done, the volume of transactions they've done, who they've worked with, maybe what news sources they've been quoted in. And so don't necessarily like why you're sitting there and make, take a list of what they're doing, but take a mental note of the things that they're saying. And then afterwards, go online and try to figure out if what they said is actually true. So essentially just fact checking everything that they told you. Obviously, if they're lying, then... That's not a good sign. And then the other one was to not be afraid to ask around about this person as well. So this person, again, claims they've worked with Donald Trump, figure out if they actually work with Donald Trump. If this person claims they've worked in this particular market and they're like the number one broker in this market, 
Will they talk to other brokers and owners in that market to see if that person is even known by these people? So that was the first category, which is do your due diligence. Um, I'll pause there before I go into the second one to see if Danny has anything to add. Yeah, I think due diligence is so important that you actually vet what they're saying because ideally you want to have a mentor who's kind of been there, done that, and is still doing what you want to do. Due diligence is important. Just like you're going to buy an investment property, you're going to always make sure that there's real tenants in place or that there's actual cash flow coming in and that the property is real and that the quality of the construction and the systems, the roof, the plumbing, the electrical, the HVAC are in good working condition. So you just need to do that same thing with a mentor. Make sure that they've, like Theo said, done what they say they've done. And there's easy ways on the internet to fact check them. So if they recently bought and sold a property, go to the county website to the RMC or where they have the public real estate transactions and verify that they bought it and sold it. Absolutely. And then the, the second category, which it still comes down to due diligence, but for more specific and that's you want to find a mentor that has good character. It seems obvious, of course, but in the moment, that's something that might be overlooked and you focus on all the great things they say they've done, all the great things they say they can do for you, and you don't necessarily think about how your initial feeling is about their character. So Jay and Samara went over a few red flags to look for when you're speaking with someone, which may indicate that they have poor character. Number one, again, this goes back to, to the due diligence, is lying about their track record. So again, if they've done this many deals and they haven't, that's not a good idea. The other one was they're the loudest person in the room and are the ones that want all the attention. Everyone knows you, you go to like a conference or some sort of seminar, there's always that one guy who's obviously trying to gain all the attention. And their explanation was someone who's really good at being a mentor is going to be pretty selective with who they bring on. So they're not going to be crazily marketing their program every single place that they go. It's most likely going to be them finding people to work with on kind of a one-on-one basis. So They'll kind of go to the conference or the, the seminar. They'll kind of sit back and observe and pick out the people that they might want to work with and then approach them one-on-one rather than grabbing the mic from the MC and saying, hey, I, you know, I got this great deal. You want to partner with me on it? Which takes us to number two, which is them being overly aggressive. So even if they are talking to you one-on-one, if they're like really aggressive and they're trying to pressure you to join, they're saying things like, well, this is only a one-time opportunity. The second I walk away from you right now, this deal is gone. That's also a red flag that that something's amiss. Something else too, which is also very interesting, was value for value. So again, these are free mentorships. And typically whenever people ask me how to find a mentor, I tell them that you want to go out there and proactively add value to their business because at the end of the day, the person who's the mentor is going to be adding the most value, obviously, to your business because they are way more experienced than you. And so just you alone being with them will give you credibility that you wouldn't have otherwise. But they should ask for something in return from you. Like they're, they're not going to give away their years of experience for free. If they are, then something's most likely going on. So if they're not asking for something in return, is also a red flag. And then two more are no referrals. So you ask them for referrals, and they're kind of weird and saying how, well, my one business partner died. My other ones are on vacation for the next three years, so you can't really get in contact with them. But just trust me. I got you. Obviously, that's not going to happen, but... If they don't have referrals, they can list off right off the bat. That's also a red flag. And then lastly, this might be more along the lines of after you've started working with them, but they make you feel bad for asking questions. They make you feel stupid for asking questions. They don't want to answer your questions. 
or they just straight up don't answer your questions is also another red flag. Yeah, I certainly agree with all of those. And I'll add two more points to the list here for people to consider. Number one, trust your gut. If like you were saying, Theo, if something doesn't feel right or they can't get references or there's a lot of excuses about why their references are out of town and your little gut inside of you is saying something feels funny, it is, move on. There's plenty of people out there that are trustworthy and likable that you will feel good about working with because not only is it you getting value from them, but you getting value from them, you're giving value to the mentor as well by having that relationship. So it needs to be a two-way street where you both feel comfortable of creating value and opportunity for the both of you to work on that. So number one, trust your gut. If it feels off, it is. Just move on and find someone else. There's plenty of people out there. We've got, what, 7 billion plus and growing in the world. So you'll find one person that can be your mentor. Number two is a very interesting tip that one of my mentors gave me. And Theo, I'm going to use you as an example. So if you were going to be my mentor, I would really love to set up a Zoom meeting with you, Theo, so I can get to know you better after I vet your references. And most likely, the person is going to take the meeting a Zoom meeting using the camera, being able to see them in their home. So Theo, I'm going to pick on you for a minute here. What does Theo, as my potential mentor, look like in his environment where he's comfortable? I've learned quite a bit from Theo just by seeing him in his office. The shelving in his background, it's very organized. I see a photo in the back of his screen that shows me that he cares about people in his life because he wants to see them. I see several books up on his shelf, which leads me to believe he's eager to learn. And I see that the shelves are very organized, which leads me to believe that he's a responsible person. There's no trash on the ground, which leads me to believe that Theo takes care of himself and is interested in being a successful person who wants to take care of his environment. So I would trust Theo based on the environment that he lives in and is comfortable in. I would have a really hard time personally if I called a mentor and they had boxes of junk in their background, in that environment. To me, that's very chaotic. I wouldn't want to be around that. So the tip from my mentor was, have a conversation with the person inside of the environment where they live, and you're going to learn so much about them just by getting onto a call, even if it's a minute long, to see where they live and what they sit in on a daily basis. And that, to me, was a huge tip to know who you want to surround yourself with. Again, if someone's disorganized and chaotic, it doesn't seem like they would be very diligent at business. Exactly. And that's a great point. I never thought of that, but I've never articulated that way before. Or it's more of an unconscious thing where you see someone who's like super disorganized or kind of like, huh, interesting. You have a certain feeling towards them right away, as opposed to someone who's got a very clean background. I'm surprised you didn't say anything about the bourbon I have above my head. 
Maybe you just ignored that one. I guess it shows that I like to relax at the end of the day, too. <laughs> or maybe you just can't see it. <laughs> but that's a great point. My one kind of paid mentor that I had before, I never actually did that. And now looking back, I wish I would have. And you can really apply that to anything, relationships in general. Potential business partner or investor or whatever you can learn about someone in their natural environment tells a huge story about who they are. I think I'm going to write a a blog post about that concept and then Joe's website next week. That's very powerful. I might just take a snapshot of my background and be like, would I be a good mentor? And then go through the things you just mentioned. But something else I was thinking about too, is I know like this, there's certain taking a step back and not thinking about it from a real estate perspective, but if you're looking for like an author you want as a mentor, then maybe you want someone who's got a really chaotic looking background with books everywhere. Because whenever I write books, my mind is just complete chaos. It's not very organized. In order to write books, you can't think very structurally. You can't be organized in your mind. It's kind of just like you're kind of all over the place. And that's where I think most authors thrive. But particularly for real estate, you don't want someone who's got a bunch of crap laying around their room for sure. And then obviously you said trust your gut. I know that's a huge thing that Joe talks about. We think or we, we wish that we make all of our decisions based off of logic and reason and statistics. And obviously if we take the time to make decisions, we do that. But in the moment, we're not analyzing things like that when we're having conversations with people. It's mostly based off of our initial feeling. If you got to just trust your gut when you first meet someone, you're going to save yourself a lot of trouble in the end. Whereas if you try to overanalyze, like, well, I don't feel right about this, but he has done $10 million of deals and maybe I can make this work and kind of force it to work. You might end up in a James Merritt situation where you're losing $30,000, maybe more, because you didn't initially trust your gut. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, and the last thing I've got on the topic here is utilize the power of the network. Everybody should be in the best ever community group on Facebook. And if you're thinking about vetting a partner, post it in the community page. See what kind of feedback people have because chances are if they are a well-known investor or entrepreneur, someone in the community is going to know them or know their friend and they'll be able to give you honest feedback without expecting anything in return. And I think that's always valuable is to tap into the network and say, who has worked with this person and tell me about your experience Mm -hmm. and just kind of create your own references after if you want more in addition to the references that that mentor provides to you. So I think we're going to stop there for the lesson. So those are the two things we learned last week. The first one was about taking professional photos for your deals, whether you're selling deals, renting deals. And then secondarily, we went to a, I mean, a deep dive into what to look for when finding a mentor. And I think what Danny said about having that video conversation with them, that's very interesting. I think that's very solid advice that everyone should apply. So, you know, if you have a mentor right now and you haven't seen them in person yet, you should definitely call them up today and be like, hey, uh, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm going to do a video interview with you to see what you look like. Obviously, don't say, like, I want to analyze your background to see if I want to continue working with you. All right, so let's move on to the trivia question. So I'm trying to make these trivia questions each month themed. So last month was the wacky real estate laws. I think this month I'm going to focus on some global real estate questions. So questions that aren't specific to the United States, which I guess makes it a little bit harder. So uh, last week's question was, name the country where it's almost impossible to buy a pre-owned resale house because most of the houses depreciate in value. And more than half of them are demolished after 30 years. I think you said Bahrain. Is that what you said? I did. 
Okay. So the answer was actually Japan. Oh. So in Japan, they have four times more architects and two times more construction workers per capita than the U.S., obviously because they're consistently building homes, I guess demolishing homes as well. Again, I'm not specifically sure what economical reasons are behind this depreciation of value, but I guess the demand is not there like it is in the U.S. Maybe there's not as many real estate investors in Japan as there are in the U.S. So this week's question might be a little simpler. So this is globally now. What city has the highest monthly rent? I mean, this is going to be based off of a two-bedroom apartment. So there be a hint. So number two is San Francisco. So out of the entire planet Earth, San Francisco has the second highest two-bedroom rent in the entire world. What is number one? Danny. Yes, no. I am thinking. <laughs> that, that pause of me kind of like looking out this way is I'm thinking through cities that are going to have the highest two-bedroom rent in the world. I was running through a bunch of different cities here in my head. I think San Francisco is higher than New York. So I'm not going to say New York because it's also a global question. Well, I'll give you a hint, just make it more specific. It's not in the U.S. and It's not in North America, it's not in South America, and it's not in Europe. Or Africa, obviously. Singapore. Okay, so Singapore is the guess. If you are listening to this audio, you can submit your answer to Info at Joe Fairless. If you're watching the video, comment in the YouTube section below. The first person... To get this correct, we'll receive a copy of our first best ever book. And then last thing, make sure you guys check out Apartment Syndication School. It's at syndicationschool.com. We post two podcast episodes each week that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy that is raising capital from passive investors to buy large apartment buildings. Right now, we're through being a complete noob to actually closing on your first deal net entire process and everything in between and we'll start focusing on asset management starting next week or i guess it'd be in two weeks because we're always a week behind from when i record those but on following friday we're going to be giving away or at least uh, discussing one of the free documents that we have available at syndicationschool.com this week's free document is a free market evaluator spreadsheet this is a spreadsheet that not only walks you through what data you should be looking at when you're evaluating a target market, but also how to find that data. And then obviously you can log that data on the spreadsheet. So that is from series number five, which is how to select a target apartment syndication market. And if you want to listen to those episodes, it's 1520 and 1521. You can find the free spreadsheet there, or you can find the free spreadsheet in the show notes of this episode. So that will wrap up this conversation. Danny, I really appreciate you coming on again. I've enjoyed the conversation. Lots of solid advice. Before we head out, where can people find out more about you and what you have going on? You can check me out. I'm pretty much at Danny Randazzo everywhere. Also, if you're interested in the apartment investing that we do, you can check us out at passiveinvesting.com. But I'm all over the internet. So reach out and get in touch. Awesome. Well, Danny, thanks again for coming on the show. Best ever listeners, thanks for listening. Have your best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great 
tenants. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dot com forward slash show.